Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Look, we, we're <laughs> organised to be in a really nice, quiet location, which is my kitchen table, and then it's just started absolutely belting down rain. It's so weird. I walked in the door and it was fine outside. As soon as we get the microphones out, suddenly it's a tropical... Is it a hailstorm? Possibly. It's, yeah. yeah, it's exactly everywhere we go. A, a tree will fall on your house <laughs> any second. Yeah, that's exactly right. We always bring the noise with us. Hope you've all had a lovely Christmas and managed to get a bit of a, a Christmas break. Um, now, I think we should leap straight in because we've got all of, you know, half an hour before yeah. I have to go get the boys from daycare. So, um, now, there's a few things I know that we both read and watched over summer. The Crown. Yeah. What did you think? Well, so I was so sort of pumped up and fueled by... Um, the, uh, by Julia Baird's Victoria, um, which I continue to harangue everyone I meet about because it's so great. And I thought, right, I need some more royalty. Well, I, didn't. I just sort of started watching The Crown because it's, you know, it's supposed to be the most expensive television series yeah. ever made and so on. And I, you know, I'm attracted by vast amounts of reckless expenditure, so I thought, why not? And I was surprised at how far back it starts as well. Um, and, uh, you know, it, 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 it uh, covers um, Queen Elizabeth's father, the famous stutterer who was um, thrust into the um, uh, kingly responsibilities with the abdication of his brother. And so you get a good, good run-up to the reign of Elizabeth II. And I came out of it, I mean, I'm about, what, four or five episodes in, I find myself more attached to Prince Philip than I thought I would yes. be. Yes. Why I wonder, is that? is that a mark of the actor's skill or so the is he actually... the guy who was Doctor Who, yes. one of the Doctor Whos, and he kind of is physically a really good fit too. He looks like a young Prince Philip. He's interesting because he's not... I would not describe that guy as very good looking, but he's quite sexy, I think, in, in this role. But it, Sorry, it, I just... But, but it also... We're not it makes far, you think a far lot. from the Duke of Edinburgh. <laughs> you always just use the word sexy just yet. Um, I think that, look, it's fascinating because it has a look at their relationship as well mm. and the power issues involved with a powerful woman being with a guy who's basically her handbag and, and how that all goes. And there's a really interesting bit in the lead up to the coronation where yeah. he says, I don't want to have to kneel before you because you're my wife and it's very emasculating and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, and she I basically says, I'm your queen and I command you to do so is what it boils down to. Which is interesting because she's deferred to him in a bunch of other mm. um, instances. For instance, she, she puts him in charge of organising the coronation even though that just absolutely freaks everybody out. Yeah. But when he says, I'm not going to kneel towards you, she effectively says, well, yes, you are, China. You <laughs> are going to kneel before me. And he does. Look, I started off with reasonably um, muted expectations because I felt like I knew a fair bit of modern history of yeah. the royal family because, you know, uh, uh, Thingo, Edward and Wallace Simpson's been so yeah. picked over and the, the uh, there's been a lot of films recently too, the King's Speech and whatnot. But... It was so good that I actually came away from it wanting to read more about a whole heap of people, yeah. including the guy, um, Tommy, whose last name escapes oh, yeah, me, who ran the, Buckingham yeah. Palace, yeah, who I did a bit of googling of, and he is um, a fascinating character. Um, but also I came out of it thinking how sad I'll be when the Queen dies because, I mean, well played, lady. Yeah. Like, you know, 70 years of public service and really she's not set a public foot wrong other yeah. than a few wobbles around the Diana Apart death. from just, you know, um, whelping four children, all of whom had difficulties <laughs> of some kind or other. <laughs> Give the woman a break. Yes, she was the queen. But what I also liked about her is that 
Um, I, I like the back and forth between her and um, and Winston Churchill, which is just and oh, fantastic. John Lithgow's oh, Winston and Churchill is just like you would not think of casting him, but he was just spectacular. Mm. And her um, tentativeness as a new monarch and growing awareness there was something really wrong with Churchill and how he was governing by that stage, he was very physically impaired, is quite well rendered. The thing that really, um, and, and in the struggle between Elizabeth and Philip about all of these issues about who's going to be the sort of parents wearer in their marriage. There are all these reflections to a lot of things that Julia Baird picks up in her Victoria book about Victoria, who's this incredibly strong and clever woman who also was very conscious about deferring to her husband a lot of the time. It's mm -hmm. fascinating to see these two women dealing with the fact that they have this extraordinary amount of power and have to manage their husband's sensibilities at the same time. So mm, interesting. Really interesting. Another thing that I listen to purely on the strength of your recommendation is a podcast called Homecoming. Yeah. So it is a podcast. Um, it's by the people from Gimlet Media, and it is a drama. It's basically a radio it's serial, a radio right? Play, yeah. um, and it has Catherine Keener is plays the main character. David Schwimmer's one of the others, and the basic premise is she is a psychiatrist slash psychologist who runs some sort of secret military debriefing program where soldiers... For soldiers do, with PTSD. Yeah. yeah. And it becomes... It's not apparent early on exactly what or where the program is, um, and it's quite mysterious. And David Schwimmer is her boss who keeps ringing her to ask how you're going getting this information, and so there's this sort of mystery element around it. Um, but it's, it's, I guess, a bit of a thriller. It's hooked me right in. Yeah, it's quite spooky. One of the things that I really like about it, and I don't know, maybe this is just because of our own difficulties in this respect, but there's just, they've made shitty sound quality into a real art form as well, which just makes me feel it's a bit like, defensive and sort of air punching. But it's, it's like, it's shitty audio. It's good audio yeah. made to sound like shitty audio. Exactly. Like, never are you struggling to actually hear what they're saying, yeah. which Don't I dare say enough. for some of our listeners. <laughs> yes. Okay, point taken. But so there's... So the way that you have contact with David Schwimmer, who's her mysterious and sort of increasingly peremptory boss, is that he's calling in um, to see how her progress is going in this unit. And he's always like in a foreign airport or he's trying to get a taxi in, in Tokyo or he's, you know, and he sounds so perfectly like one of those slightly frenzied people who's <laughs> trying to get something else done at the same time while they're talking to you. And he's constantly breaking off and saying, oh, no, 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 not a cab. I want a, you know, blah, blah, or whatever. And um, it's, it actually contributes to the sense of tension so intelligently. It's a really great device. And I just, my ambition is that we can turn similar uh, <laughs> complications into a device as successfully as that. Do you know what also amazes me is with good actors, I mean, I know this is so obvious, but how they make a an acted conversation that they're reading from a piece of paper right. sound entirely natural, like an actual phone call, actual conversation. I was struck by this the other day too. Now, here's a challenge for you, Brenda, if you're listening closely. Sure. Somebody posted something on Facebook. It's an actor whose name escapes me, but he's like a sort of action hero. His first name might be Jared or Gerald or something like that. Yeah. And he was reading a children's book, which name also escapes me. But he <laughs> read it. Researchers. He read it like he was just telling you a story, which was... 
hey, so I was uh, going to a party and it, I got the invitation that said you've got to dress up as a penguin. And so I've showed up, I'm dressed as a penguin. They're like, no, you can't come in. And he said it exactly like that. The whole story was read like that. So I'm trying now with my boys to read their stories like I'm just actually telling them something that happened to me. But it makes you realise... Um, I don't like green eggs and ham. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, would you like them on a bus? <laughs> would you like them without a fuss? Um, so... And it's really hard to do. And it all comes down to the quality of the writing, right. of course. Acting. It's also acting. And the acting, yeah. And I'm not an actor, so there you go. Um, I saw a show at the Sydney Festival, which I mention now because it's to do with sound and the power of sound. And mm -hmm. I just found it so original and very entrancing. It's called The Encounter. It's finished now at the Sydney Festival, but it's going next to, I think, Malthouse Theatre in Melbourne uh -huh. and thence to the Adelaide Festival. So it, if you uh, are going to be in either of those cities, there's uh, opportunities to see it, and it's really worth it because... So it's, it's by a company called Complicity, and the director is Simon McBurney, mm -hmm. performed by a guy called Richard Katz. And all it is is this actor, Richard Katz, on stage with a bunch of sort of tables and bottles of... Sorry, you got interrupted by a phone call, <laughs> as you were. <laughs> giving me an opportunity to covertly advert, um, observe your iPhone um, pin number. <laughs> that would be useful, down the track. Um, anyway, so um, the actor is performing the story of this photographer uh, who got lost in a remote part of the Brazilian rainforest in 1969 while mm. searching for the Mayaruna people. Mm. So he's kind of panicky but also trying to take pictures and he runs into this um, group of people who are a bit suspicious of him obviously and then he kind of wanders around with them for a while gradually starving to death and being unsure of where he is and whether he's about to be killed and this actor recreates all of that just with his voice mm. and as a member of the audience you're holding you've got earphones on and he's doing all these sort of sound effects and he performs the voice of this photographer in a deep American accent, even though he's got a um, more highly pitched British accent. And you think there's no way that this is going to be a really engaging two hours of theatre because I can see everything that's on stage. There's no set. There's just a couple of microphone stands and like really a disconcertingly large number of bottles of water. But after about 15 minutes, you're completely involved. And even though you can see what he's doing to make these sound effects, weirdly enough, it doesn't make them any less effective. Wow. And it's such a weird thing to see at the cinema, the theatre, something that is really nothing to do with the visuals at all. Although, I mean, he, he kind of create he actually creates his own set by like the, the narrative jumps back and forth to the jungle and then suddenly it's the um, the actor, writer back in his own flat writing this story and his little daughter is there and you get the sound effect of him asking her asking him questions. And it's so believable you can just zip back and forth between wow. rainforest and this flat somewhere in London. And um, why were there so many bottles of water? <laughs> because he was making river sounds. Oh, and like, so wow. He was jumping around to different microphones because some of them had um, looping equipment. And there's this incredible sequence where he creates the sounds of a rainforest by, he's got this sort of, directional microphone that he runs around making all of these kind of bird sounds and drip sounds and sort of you know leaf rustling sounds and he runs around and around it's on a loop so after a while it builds up and you, you suddenly you're in this rainforest it's quite <laughs> that's incredible it's, it's full on yeah where do people get some of their ideas I, I from i don't know and that's the thing like you know you go see theater and you're like oh well you know this is a 
Russian-style tragedy about everybody being hopeless and various people sleeping with each other. Or, oh, this is one of the ones where someone gets murdered or whatever. But this is completely... Just like if some actor or some writer came to you and said, this is what we're going to do, you'd just go, see ya. <laughs> see ya. But it actually worked incredibly well. It's sort of unusual to see something so original. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it was really good. But it made me think of the bad sound quality. After the um, homecoming, after every episode, they've got a little director's, yeah, where they talk to the actors or the writer or whatever about how they achieved this effect. And there's mm. one where... Um, two characters have a conversation on a Ferris wheel. <laughs> and it just, that even though you can't see the Ferris wheel, it really adds this sort of quite spectral element to the whole thing, like these two people are having a conversation on a Ferris wheel. <laughs> why are they there? Doesn't, you know, why are they on a Ferris wheel? Who knows? Um, <laughs> but they talk about it afterwards and about how initially that conversation took place on a park bench and it was much, much flatter. Uh-huh. But then once they put these sort of strange Ferris wheelie sound effects in, it became a much richer oh. and more intriguing... Incredible. Experience. I've not heard that episode yet. Yeah. Well. Um, speaking of original, I went to see La La Land. Right. I saw two, okay. I saw two Damn, films. I was thinking that maybe you and I could go together as my gift to you. <laughs> seeing a little musical. I'm not sure what you'll think of it. You might like it, actually. Um, look, it, it started... When it started... Starts with a big song and dance number. Uh-huh. It's a one-camera shot uh, in a, on a Los Angeles freeway. Right. So you're just like popcorn dribbling <laughs> down your face. Actually, I thought. Actually, I thought it was a little cheesy, and oh, I thought goodness. if it doesn't improve from this, I don't know about this. But then it was great because it was a musical. I think it was really helped that the chemistry of the two leads is excellent. Right. Ryan Gosling and um, Emma. Stone, I think it yes. is. Yes. Oh, and and giant eyes. Yep. Yeah, red hair and giant eyes. Um, co-starred in a film before, haven't they? I'm not sure. I'm sure I've seen them in something before. Brenda. Yeah. Um, he also is a personality of guys that I've met before, which is very intense and into mm. something, and his thing that he's into is jazz music. Mm. And um, But they only like, you know, pure jazz and, you know, the very sort of um, I'm not compromising, this is my dream oh, sort of jazz personality. Wanker, <laughs> jazz wanker, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jazz Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there you go, that'll be the title. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's it's basically about their relationship and how it starts and how it progresses, I would say, is the sort of core of the film. But um, And it go, it's not quite so cheesy as the opening sequence would have you, have you believe. It's definitely fantasy, yeah. like you know, all musicals are. But... Look, it was also... I did really like it, so I'm making it sound like I, I didn't like it, but I did really like it. I particularly liked the ending, which wasn't very Hollywood. It was good. Oh, okay. um, but it had the misfortune that I saw it in the week when Debbie Reynolds died, and oh. so I was watching clips from Singing in the Rain on right. very high rotation. Oh, that's harsh, isn't it? There's really nothing harsh. stands up well with that. No. And there's a dance sequence, which is sort of probably the dance sequence of the film. They're on a um, mountain in Hollywood with a big scenic outlook behind them, and they do a dance, and they're both, frankly, pretty terrible dancers, oh. particularly compared to Gene Kelly and yeah. Debbie Reynolds. So, um, yeah, it was just it was just that I thought, oh, that was, oh, geez, they're a bit ordinary, they're a bit out of sync. And then I saw the most brilliant dancing ever captured on film, so it didn't quite, you know, hold up. But I did, I still did actually enjoy it. I enjoyed it far more than the other film I managed to escape out and see, which was Jackie. Um, oh, I'm quite keen to see that. Look, I'll be curious to know what you think if you see it. I felt like it was... 
It's tried to do, I guess, what the Crown has done, which is take it, take a story that's actually very well known and bring something new to it. Mm. And so they've seized on this, I guess, um, uh, behind the scenes in Jackie's world in the days after JFK was assassinated right. and her desire to make the memorial something that would define their legacy. Right. And so how she's That's gone... That's the Camelot thing was Exactly, going, right? yeah. yeah. And to go... She's basically um, copied Lincoln's, um, um, you know, what do you call it? Like memorial, memorial thing. Yeah. Um, and so... But it was just... I felt like there was no real sort of beyond that as the centre point, there was no real sort of narrative drive through it, I didn't feel. So I felt quite bored. And for me, I also was looking really forward to what it would look like. And it looked good. And Natalie Portman looked great. And all the clothes were nice yeah. and blah, blah, blah. But it didn't look, the look of it wasn't quite so stellar for me that it held my attention despite the sort of lack of a compelling plot. In the way that Mad Men, I could probably watch with just the volume down because it yeah. looked so amazing. This didn't quite hold it together for me. So, yeah, I didn't... As a, you know, great lover of American history, I thought I'd be really into that, but mm. I didn't particularly enjoy it. So what's the sort of... What's the tipping point of the movie? Like, you know, all movies have a, have a sort of a jeopardy and then a resolution. Well, I mean, there wasn't the really... happens at the beginning Yeah, of the that, par that was part of the problem. Mm. So the tragedy happens at the start um, and then it's basically... I guess the tension is, is she going to get her way to have the memorial done mm. in the way she wants to preserve the legacy? Um, and is she going to set it up, you know, as she wants? Or are the sort of um, forces around, I guess, Lyndon Johnson and the new administration right. going to have their way? But you know with that film Frost Nixon, how, yeah. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, that was... We all know that yeah. uh, Frost did amazing interviews with Nixon, and yet the tension when you're watching that film that you're thinking that Frost is going to mess it up um, is just... I mean, I found it almost, I could barely watch. I felt physically ill, like I was the one having to interview Richard Nixon just because he was so ill-prepared and just, oh, God. Um, like and the upcoming classic sales turnbull. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, that film, you, I kept saying to myself, snap out of it. You know that it works out all right. Whereas this film, it was like, you also know it works out all right. Uh, that but there was no tension. You didn't yeah. raise a sweat about it. So, now the Just other on thing, that, um, dancing front. Did I ever tell you that um, fabulous story? It's from one of Michael Gordon's books um, called A Question of Leadership about. Um, Paul Keating. No. It's such an interesting book. It's not a huge book, but it's just really perceptive and just so interesting about Keating in office. But there's some great story in there from when he was treasurer and he lived, as treasurers then did, in Canberra and Hawke lived in the lodge. And they were in the middle of some lengthy like, and quiet sort of prickly meeting with Hawke and Bill Kelty talking about, it must have been some sort of, you know, accord-related issue or something. And Hawke pops out and he's got to take a phone call. And um, uh, Keating starts telling Kelty in incredibly detailed terms about this amazing dance sequence he's seen in a Ginger Rogers Fred Astaire movie the previous night. He's just like, right, so when then this happens. He's just like, <laughs> and Kelty's there just rolling his eyes. And anyway, ten minutes later, Hawke pops in and Kelty's there, but Keating's disappeared and Hawke says to Kelty, oh, where's Paul gone? And Kelty goes, ugh. He's got, gone home to get some video. <laughs> he's actually gone, right, tell you what, I'll go home, I'll get the video, I'll show you. So he's zipped home to get uh, the video, comes back, and then they can't make it work in the uh, video recorder. So then they're calling all these staff in to make it work. 
and in the in the end, Kelty's telling the story, and, and Gordon says, "Well, and was it like, was it great?" And Kelty's like, "Yeah, it was all right, I guess." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great... the olden days when you couldn't oh, just look something up on YouTube. I know exactly. Oh, right. um, now you the other been, thing you've been looking at that brilliant. Sorry, I, I, I'm just ritualistically interrupting you, and I'm sorry, but there's two things on YouTube that have been great in the last week. One of them is that um, bad, bad lip reading. Oh, you're going to say that of Trump. Of Trump's inauguration. Oh my God! I just I must have watched it about thirty times. It's so funny, and stop what you're doing right now and watch it. And the other one is the one that you sent me, which is the one about the um, the Dutch. Um, oh, how good was that? Message from the people of the Netherlands <laughs> to, to Donald Trump. Oh, my God. Introducing their country to him. That was absolutely bedwettingly funny. Um, yeah, I absolutely loved that. Also, something that I loved recently. Did you see Hugh Parkinson, who does all the funny oh, mashups for insiders? Yeah. Absolute genius. He did um, the world accordion to Trump, where Trump's playing the accordion. Have you seen that? <laughs> seen that so, basically, I'd never noticed it before, but Trump's hands gestures are going in and out all the time, oh, and so he's basically just superimposed an accordion and then put some little sound effects, like, like the sound of an accordion. Anyway, it start, when it starts off, and it's still the Trump speech, but now it's just with, without an accordion. When it starts off, you sort of, it's one of those things where you start off just giggling, like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> and then it just builds, but by the end, you just end absolute hysterics. It was really Really great. I've missed that one. Um, now, the other thing that we both read over summer was we reread Monkey Group by yes. Helen Garner. Just in case we run into her. <laughs> Just in case any of the listeners were thinking, oh, 18 minutes have passed without a mention of I Helen know. Garner. Well, actually, I'm doing this thing at the um, art gallery in a couple of weeks' time, um, which is um, called Room to Read. It's a fundraiser for Room to Read. And it's. Um, uh, a few people getting up and reading a passage from Australian literature. And, of course, I've been just... I've spent so much time worrying about what I'm going to choose. Yeah, what are you choosing? Well, I don't know! <laughs> so I'm like, I'll just reread the entire back catalogue of Helen Garner because, you know, like a dog laying tribute at the feet of a master, I really want to read something by Helen Garner. And, um, yeah, I don't know, I was looking for some bits in Monkey Trip, which there are so many bits that it's... Yeah, choose. that would be very hard to choose. Um, and but did you enjoy Monkey Grip on I your... I loved it. And I, you know, I think the first time I read it, I was a lot younger and I think I read it I, with probably less um, of a discerning eye. Like I, I don't know, when I was at university, I read a lot and just sort of, not indiscriminately, but I just motored through books. And I think there was so much in it that I didn't remember when I was looking back on it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, same. Yeah. And also just um, to read such perceptive and sort of sharp and pardback writing from someone who, I think at the time she would have been about 30 when she wrote it, maybe, yeah, maybe younger, maybe I'm not younger, sure. Younger, uh, just thinking, oh my God, imagine like you so sort of fully realised as a talent, so young. And Incredible. The, the genius of the book is that is in the sort of sparsity of its descriptions, I think. It's, mm. I mean, very much like what she's great at now. Just it's the, it's the purity of the structure of her sentences and what she can deliver and I loved the um the opening where she basically sets up the scene of um I, I wish I knew the exact words but sets up the scene of this idyllic house where it's so great you have bacon yeah. and eggs for breakfast every day and it's just and it sounds so amazing and then she finishes the paragraph finishes something like you know and then um the winds of change began to blow as they always do or something like that so yeah it was just or things start she it wasn't as cliched as what I just said but it was you know, probably used it's about pretty, 50 cent fewer words. It also makes me just think, wow, Helen Garner, you 
wild child. There's, you know, there's a whole lot of just rampant drug oh, use. Oh, yeah, and... she must find us bloody boring I know. squares. I must go shoot up. So it be more interesting <laughs> to Helen Garner. <laughs> I don't know. Today on Chat 10 Looks 3, Annabelle Krantz takes illegal drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me not to attend that one. Um, okay. Now, can we do a quick, before we run out of time, a quick whip around of the other bits and pieces? Oh, uh, yeah. I um, remember. Do you know, I... I, it seems so long ago that I started Christmas holiday reading. But, you know. I know. Can I quickly have, you know, whip down my list? Yeah, you can. So no, generally nothing puts fear in my heart like somebody saying to me, hey, my dad self-published a book. He thought you might like to read it and oh then someone God. giving it to right, me, okay. um, which one of my friends did. And... It was great. Wow. I loved it. It was called Left Luggage. Um, the author's name's Andrew Christie. Um, it's set in inner Western Sydney, Camperdown Glebe, and it's basically a thriller. Um, it's about a, a man whose mother has been a revered Australian war photographer, and right. she's just coming back to Australia. She's been living in Paris for nearly her whole life. Right. She's coming back to Australia um, to move into a nursing home near where the right. son can look after her. Um, his father had been killed years earlier in right. somewhat mysterious circumstances. The mother has a suitcase. Um, it, it's the father's. It's, it's in a storage Ooh, unit. It's full of weapons, it turns out, and then chaos ensues. Anyway, it was really a great um, read, and I would think a discerning publisher would probably want to get their hands on it. So it's called Left Luggage so by Andrew So is it published Christie. or is it... It's he published it himself. But it's very... Um, it looks very sleek and professional. Did he publish it on, um, as an e-book through... Um, I don't know. I got a hard copy. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Because there is a whole... I mean, there's a whole cohort of writers now who do very well um, off Kindle or any of those other e-books. Well, that brings me to another book I read, which is John Birmingham has self-published his ah, latest book, right. which is called A Girl in Time. Um which I did read as an e-book. Um, now, it is... Uh, is it a Burmo woofer? It's... <laughs> what's what? a Burmo woofer? Well, this guy's going, ah, oh, hit him with a stick, <laughs> grunt. It's like... No. He does real kind of like... No. It, no, I wouldn't say it... it well, it's sort Explosions. of... It's sort of action, but it's time travel slash... Um, I don't know what the word is, but like, you know, cutting edge computery you types. You want to say fantasy, but it sounds a bit It's too sort of early. fantasy. I thought it was like a combo of H.G. Wells' The Time Machine and yeah. Neuromance by William Gibson. Oh, so love the main character is a girl called Katie who is about to get a check for squillions of dollars because she's made an app that's gone gangbusters. Right. Okay. And then something happens to her in the street, she gets involved in a fight. She wakes up, this dude's rescued her, whose name is Titanic Smith, um, and he is from the past. All right. And so it sort of goes from there. But I'm a big fan of John Birmingham yeah, because he's excellent. so diverse. He's so clever. And also, you know that he writes using one of those Madonna headsets, like he paces around and dictates. Really? Wow. Yeah, he does voice to script. No, he I did me not through know that. once. And uh, it wow. just... I don't know if I could do that. I, I really am very tied to my two-finger typing technique. Yeah. And seeing the I words appear on the screen is quite... After I write it down, I speak it aloud, and then I change it to okay. how I speak aloud. But um, I did do quite a bit of writing over the holidays, in fact. Wow. I shall save that to tell our listeners about it on another episode. Yeah, Laura's um, fancy. I knocked over... Episode 86. <laughs> Their floor is a 44-year-old washed up... Oh, God, I hope it's better than... current affairs host. <laughs> Laura, <laughs> give me some more smack. Get Helen Garner around. <laughs> She's got a friend called Arabella Crap. <laughs> 
Um, I knocked over Postcards from the Edge by Carrie Fisher after wow. Carrie Fisher died. Okay. Yeah, did I, I love watched, that? I watched the movie actually. Wow. Over Christmas. Did, was the movie good? Just like everybody else. Yeah. yeah, it was great. Okay. It was really good. Who plays Carrie Fisher in? So, um, Carrie Fisher is played by Meryl Streep. Oh, that's right. Shirley MacLaine. And Shirley MacLaine is Debbie Reynolds. Right. And you just like it made me actually think. Now, obviously, Meryl Streep. Everybody remembers that she's a great actress, but Shirley MacLaine is. Awesome, in this yeah, film. she really is fantastic. And she's friends with Andrew Peacock, so you know, <laughs> it's not love. Um, I knocked over After by Nikki Gemmell, which is her forthcoming book. I had an advanced copy about her mother's suicide, right? Which is supposed to be it was excellent, extraordinary. Yeah. I'm not actually sure if it's meant to be embargoed, so okay. I better not talk Good about it. Let's save for another well time. <laughs> um, and two other bits of TV I watched only two episodes of season three of Black Mirror. Oh, okay. Episode one wasn't as I wasn't as creeped out as I was by the other seasons of Black Mirror. Episode two, I was massively creeped out and wondering why am I watching this before bedtime. Uh -huh. So it's it's more of the same. It's, Black Mirror is basically I think like a modern day Twilight Zone, which yeah. takes it, it imagines technology going to the sort of nth degree from yeah. where we are now, yeah. and then you know horror ensues. The other thing I did was binge watched a bit of. The Good Wife, which I know is very old, but I'd never wow. watched it, and I'd been recommended to watch it ages ago. Um, and in fact, when so I told my friend, when I told my friend Sally Sara that I was um, binge watching it, she went, "Oh, Sally, you are so behind the times." Hey, I've got another suggestion for you. Have you tried Dad's Army? <laughs> She's brutal and a witch, that woman. She is a brutal witch. So that's true. Good at her job. And, and that was to some extent them. of my summer reading. Okay. Well, I've got other things, but, you know, I just don't want to bore people additionally to the extent that they've already been bored by your rundown <laughs> of every last thing that you saw I think it was move. fascinating, actually. <laughs> um, I am halfway through reading um, Rebecca Huntley's Oh, Rebecca yeah, that's Huntley's on my bedside table. New yeah. book, which is called Still Lucky. Mm -hmm. um, and Tishy's a sensible woman. She's so interesting. She's got this sort of bizarrely fascinating job, which is where she goes around and does... It's not really like, it's like focus group research. She just goes around to people's living rooms that have them and their friends and she just listens to them talk about mm. what's going on in Australia. There, she it, it goes into this report that she writes called the Mind and Mood Report. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's in the short attention span present. There's so few people that take a long view and step back and look right. at overall patterns. She's so valuable. And the book is actually really heartening about mm, okay. um, Australian attitudes and optimism. And it just, it strikes quite a reassuring note, actually, in the current you know, environment of constant global panic. So that's good. Um, <laughs> the other thing I'm going to mention, which has got nothing to do with grown-up reading at all, it's just something that I've been doing with my children that's just like out-of-control fun, is this app called Mad Libs. Oh. And um, all it is, is and you can get sort of books of it as well, but we just happen to have the app. And so it's like a set, it's like blankety blanks, right? It's a sentence, like a little story, maybe about 500 words. And there's all these blanks and you have to ask the kids, right, give me a noun, give me an adjective. So it kind of teaches them about nouns. Okay. Give me an adverb or whatever. And then... And they'll go like willy or, you know, bananas or whatever. <laughs> um, it was a lot of bums, of course, because, 
you have to get, give a part of the body every now and again. That's always bums. Uh, and then, so you key that all in, and then you read out the story with all of their words that they've suggested, <laughs> and it's always kind of ridiculously funny. <laughs> well, so that sounds great. It is. It's really, really good. And, um, you know, the children are just kind of mad for it. It's really good fun. Okay, cool. I should keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Um, do you reckon, I don't know what made me think of this, I know actually, because we were talking so much about the crappy audio quality and we did over Christmas say, look, let's get organised and buy some decent recording gear. Yep. And then it made me think, well, how hard would it be for us to also have some music and a little theme song? Because like every podcast you listen to has um, music. Oh, yeah. Do you think that our theme song should be just like instrumental sort of, like Driving Miss Daisy sort of music? Yeah. Or should we have a theme song, like an expositionary theme song? Because I'm a fan of the expositionary theme song, <laughs> and you won't be surprised to know. But they've, they've got out of... Fashion. What even is an exposition? Well, like, you know, like, welcome back, Connor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was actually thinking of the nanny. She was working in a bridal shop in Flushing, Queens, oh, when her boyfriend kicked her out in one of those crushing scenes. What was she to do? Where was she to go? She's out on a fanny. Um, yeah, something like that. That explains the whole premise of the podcast. like Macca on a Sunday morning. But he has an expositionary theme song, Yes, he? he does. Oh, does he? It's just him talking it. Like, it's like... <laughs> What do you think? Should we have, like, do you reckon we should have a musical one or should we actually write a theme song? I love that you, how you boxed me into these two <laughs> insane choices <laughs> and you've got this weird smile on your face. It's like with the kids, would you like broccoli or carrots? Yeah. Mmm, <laughs> broccoli and carrots, please, salesy. Knowing with a dull sense of certainty that next time I see you, you'll have something sketched out. See, I think you should write the words, though, because you're better at funny words than me, so I think you should write some words and then I'll put some music to them okay. and perform it. Okay. <laughs> this just sounds dumb. I'm already feeling a bit trapped. <laughs> <laughs> See, then we, the other thing was because I'm a tight ass and I realised, well, if we just do it that, we won't have to pay copyright on anything. <laughs> We're going to be spending all of our money on this expensive right. recording. Uh, would you like to base it on any existing piece of music? Because I'm better no. with No, right. Okay. No, no, you, no. You, you, like, you like the structure of the rhyme so you know what you're doing. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is that what you prefer? Well, I just, you know... I guess so, yeah. Yeah. I, find it easier to I, I agree, which, but that's why, I, that's why I wanted you to come up with the words first because it's the same in the other direction. Um, I think so we've come up with a guarantee. Well, I guess, what we, could, I guess what we could do is come up, come up with a formula like, you know, AAB, AAD, or whatever, and then you write to that, and then I'll make it work. Anyway, we'll, yeah. Sorry, this is, <laughs> this is a conversation. What are you with, your thoughts? <laughs> You're right. Saying. Right. 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 This madcap project. Care of. Um, Only been near you. <laughs> <laughs> this is probably a conversation we could have had without recording it. Probably. Now it strikes me now. So. Oh, it's such gold. Let's, go, let's ca carry it on after we stop. The rain stopped. It has. Just in time for us to end the podcast. Perfect. Bye. Bye.